Welcome to Are We There Yet? Transport into the Future. This is a series of programs that look at current issues and developments and what they mean for the transport we need, we want and what we can supply in the future. In September 2018, students in postgraduate and undergraduate courses at Monash University in Melbourne organised a Transportation Engineering Student Leadership Summit. It was done under the auspices of the Australian and New Zealand chapter of the Institute of Transport Engineers, ITE. The summit is a scaled version of the model that student chapters of the ITE initiated in North America in 2012. It is a chance for students to learn about the profession and network with peers and older professionals. But they were also given a project, in this case to look at the Box Hill Town Centre, which is struggling to make the most of its identity and has a large bus depot and train station that are uncomfortably separated by some distance. The students got to work in one of a number of teams and to present their results to a large audience. The summit started with a keynote speech from Anita Kernow, who is the Executive Director of Access and Operations at VicRoads, the road authority for the state of Victoria. Students commented that Anita's presentation was enlightening and encouraging. It was personable, not patronising. Anita graduated as a civil engineer in the early 90s and she tossed up between a career in hydraulics or traffic engineering. Some say they are closely aligned because they consider flows in what is at times a capacity-restricted channel or corridor. I caught up with Anita at morning tea and asked her why she went into transportation. I was really interested in the transport side of things because it had people right at the middle of it. People who were making decisions about how they were going to get from A to B. People who made um, driver decisions about which lane they were choosing and when they would turn. So because people are right at the middle of it, it's much more unpredictable and interesting. And that's really what attracted me to transport. Engineering is often seen as equations, whereas you're getting into behaviour. Is that part of the enticement of this area? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, sort of understanding human behaviour has always been of interest to me. And even though I chose an engineering profession, which is often put down to numbers, you know, physics and chemistry. But for me, understanding the human interaction with all that is what makes it interesting. It's often been said of engineers that they will solve a problem. The real point is giving them the right problem to solve. When you graduated and saw the state in Victoria at that stage, has it changed much in that area? Yeah, look, Victoria has changed significantly since 1993. I mean, if you think about the infrastructure build alone, it's CityLink wasn't in place. You know, the, all of the infrastructure that the um, CBD has attracted since then, there's been a huge uh, infrastructure uplift as well as some major rail investment now and also some other key links such as EastLink and, and Peninsula Link, which were nowhere on the radar. There's been massive change in in some of this big infrastructure. It's said that we sometimes look at projects rather than systems. Do you think we're getting better at trying to understand that we're not just building one nice little bit, but how we affect the whole system? 
It's a really interesting question. I mean, Vic Roads has recently had some changes and one of the changes has been that our major projects division has been carved out as a separate authority. And so the major road projects authority is now um, a collaborating partner rather than part of Vic Roads. And what that leaves the rest of Vic Roads to do is to operate the network and to manage access to the network and to manage the asset. And so as the network operator, we take a really big picture systems view of the road network. You talked about your role as being one of cultural change. What are you moving to, do you think? So Vic Roads is, as a very proud engineering organisation of 104 years, I think, uh, is has had to change and become a 21st century organisation. And that doesn't just mean the trimmings of working agile and having, you know, ways of moving around. It's also about how people relate together and how people listen to the community. And so one of the key things we've done is is say, well, if we're going to put the user at the centre, what difference does that make to how we go about our job if we try and understand trip making from the perspective of the individual user? And what does it mean for our standards and for the conventions that we've built up over many years where they seem to say no, where we would like to be able to say yes? How do we get that to to change? You moved into and had a great passion for what is now called ITS, Intelligent Transport Systems. That's often seen as a revolution, but sometimes it's not just the technology you were saying in your presentation, is it? So intelligent transport systems is a means to an end in a way and I'm very interested in the whole sort of philosophy around technology for technology's sake compared to what is the problem we're trying to solve and what are the range of solutions and technology plays its part in solving those problems. And I think we've got a lot better as a profession at identifying that you do need people dedicated to developing technology because otherwise you're never going to get groundbreaking new technology. But at the same time, you need to have that sensibility check. What's the problem that this technology is seeking to address? And are we actually targeting it at the right thing? Hmm. I spoke to Dr. Max Lay just recently. He said the people who invented stuff probably didn't really know how it was going to be used. You used the example of the mobile phone and what we now call you know, the smartphone, which is taking it even further. Yeah, you're quite right. It's not necessarily the technology intent that makes the big is the thing that makes a big difference. The, the thing that makes a really big difference in the case of the, the mobile phone is what it facilitates, what it enables. And yes, it has a massive impact on transport. It also has an, a massive impact on other parts of our lives. It, it helps us to keep in touch with friends. It has a big social difference, particularly for people who are a long distance. So the idea that we have a technology that might lead a transport response rather than a technology that might solve a transport problem. We seem often see, and I think John Reed from Oz Traffic talked about, we often see technology as mechanising, computerising or robotising what we do already, where in fact it might change what we do completely. Yeah, I mean, a really simple example of that is that we've had our field-based officers move to a tablet for their enforcement of heavy vehicles. And uh, initially, we sort of replicated the paper form, you know, on the tablet. And actually, once they started using it, they realised that the benefits weren't just that you didn't have to type it back in when you went into the into the office, but you could actually access better information on the side of the road and that you didn't have to hand over a ticket to the truck driver in a very confrontational way at the end because you could actually say, 
I'm just going to email this uh, defect notice to you and get their email address and send it off. And you don't have to have that that same confrontation on the side of the road. So that's been a really unexpected benefit of the technology. And our guys are feeling so much more empowered. It's a wonderful example of communication more than just making it bright lights or, or authoritarian even. It makes it more personable, that it flows easier. Yeah, you're quite right. And, and I think uh, there's one, one or two girls, but they're mostly guys. So the guys are out there day in and day out pulling over trucks and really trying to do to do that in a way that doesn't inconvenience the, the movement of goods. So they're, they're really trying to find the ones that, that are likely to have a problem. And so they can use their technology to actually, the two up in the vehicle, so the passenger can actually check the credentials of the vehicle that they're considering pulling over. And if they've got a clear record, they don't bother. And so it's, it's a much better outcome for everyone. We've got a project here with the young people who are graduates or even just still studying where they actually have to look at a real problem. You hope that they won't just look at radius of curvatures of bus movements, but a broader aspect of what they're really trying to do. Yeah, look, it's a fantastic exercise they've got to redevelop Box Hill. Um, what an amazing job to actually have. And I, I'm taken back to not so long ago when uh, Ringwood was being redeveloped. And one of the key things there was similar. It was a big, big site that a developer was developing and thinking about the urban planning aspects, thinking about placemaking, thinking about what it is that people will be doing when they're dwelling there. Because the key thing about places is that they're places that people go to to stay. Whereas movement corridors that we transport engineers are involved in, the objective there is to get people through as quickly as possible. So the, almost the, the competing difference between place and creating places compared to moving. Mm. And uh, the Box Hill example is fascinating because of this bus interchange and the train and they're already quite substandard because they're so far from each other and how how these students and um and early career engineers actually come up with solutions will be fascinating to look at we also call it an interchange yet it's more than that it's to get people to the box hill center it's not as if it's just a transport function your point that they're actually the destination is not just another uh, to go to the train or to the bus. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we've seen um, some new office buildings going up in Box Hill. So the ATO has its office there, a really big um, multi-storey office um, over the other side of Whitehorse Road. And obviously they're interchanging to buses and to trams out on Whitehorse Road between the train and those. But actually the energy of the centre itself is increasing and I think it will go through another transformation. It's transformed a lot as it's got a beautiful sort of Chinese feel to it at the moment. And I hope that stays as, as they go through further redevelopment because it's a really interesting place to go and feel like you're in a different part of Melbourne and it's that essence of being a multicultural society. But being able to do that at the same time is making sure that we're getting great urban design outcomes and we're getting great placemaking and community growth as a result. Brian Smith from Arab does a lot of bus interchange planning where he doesn't want them just to go somewhere else. He wants them to get out and go straight to the shops or other things as well. If young students now are graduating, about to go on there, what would you have liked to have known at your graduation time? Or more particularly, what are the, the values that you talked about that you think help facilitate your career? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I actually feel like I muddled through for probably the first 15 years of my career. Um, Only 15? Right? That's, <laughs> clearly, you're one of great skill. <laughs> well, look, I'm probably still muddling, if the truth be known. But the sort of light bulb moment for me really came realistically probably about five years ago when uh, the chief executive who just joined Vic Roads at that time, John Merritt, he sort of picked me out and said, I want you to come and, and be part of our exec leadership team. He wanted me to act in a role that was a corporate services role. So here I was an engineer going, how can I do corporate services? And he said to me, he said, well, I, I, I want you to lead. I want you to show leadership. It doesn't matter what the content is. Leadership is, is a common skill that needs to be experienced by people if they're going to flourish. And so I want you to sort of be yourself and bring the best of yourself into into this role in corporate services just for six months. And it was a it was a really challenging time for me to go, okay, well if I'm going to be let loose on this on this challenge, what am I going to do with it? And and how am I going to learn from it? And under his tutelage to a certain extent, I really feel that I did have that opportunity to try things that in the past I might have suggested, but I wasn't confident enough to keep pushing them. Whereas I was able to say, I think we should do this. He goes, Yeah, great, do it. You know, and that was a surprise to me to be told, yeah, just do it. And, and so that's now what I'm trying to do with people that report to me. I'm trying to give them a sense of empowerment so that if they've got an idea and it's got an amount of sense to it, I say, yeah, go do it. So the leader is not having all the ideas. They're recognising and giving an environment where people can, I love your word, flourish. Yeah. And, and for me... Uh, it's about that empowerment is is what I see my role as. And so how do I not only empower the people that report to me, but ensure that they're doing that with the people that report to them, ensure that we get really good feedback. We're not a very good – Australian culture is not very good at giving honest feedback. Mm. And, and sometimes we put up with things that we're not happy about because we don't quite know how to bring it up. Mm. And so practising what we call point-easy conversations, which is just a way of – before anything gets too big, but you've started to notice it, just say, look, I noticed that when you were talking to so-and-so, there, was, there seemed to be um, some, some negativity there. Is that something you need to do something about? And then have that conversation. Rather than waiting until – in the past, I was guilty of waiting until I had all this evidence. Mm. And once I had all the evidence, I'd take it into a, a difficult conversation, you know, those courageous conversations that they train us for, and, and I put it all on the table. And this poor person said to me, why, why didn't you tell me this six months ago? when you started collecting the information. And I said, well, because I wasn't confident mm. that, I, that I, what I was seeing was, was real. And so, and, and so now what I'm learning is if you get in early, you can say, I'm feeling this, or it seems to me that. Mm. You don't have to have the proof. It's much better to have the conversation early. Engineers often feel they have to have the definitive answer. And so we often go away and come back and then we get into the decide and defend. I've worked out what's good for you. And if you challenge that, I get offended. Whereas what you're saying is we need to facilitate that. We're saying here's an idea or here's a suggestion or I hear what you're saying. It's a different approach altogether. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and because of that, I think it takes a bit of adjusting too. And um, engineers are, um, are excellent at doing the sums, coming up with the, the answer, and the answer is the answer. And so taking this sort of user-centric approach, it gives us an opportunity to say, all right, well, if you're going to put the customer at the centre, the fact that we've got the arterial road bit working well 
doesn't necessarily address the issue that they're taking six minutes to turn out of their local road and that 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 is a pain point for them that we need to understand and we need to respond to. We can't just say, oh, well, we can't shave 20 seconds off all the people on the main road just so that you don't have to wait for six minutes. Well, why not? You know, let's rethink that and and understand where where the real pain points are for people and respond to those. Finally, it's the real key measure, isn't it? I mean, we might say make public transport cheap so people use it, but the real key measure is do we get people out of cars, not do we just swamp public transport? It's the real outcome that you want to aim at. Yeah, I I think at the end of the day, what we want to aim at is that people make the the best mode choice um, for the particular trip they're making. And some trips, we're never going to try and replace car trips. It just doesn't make sense. And other trips where people could be, for example, cycling, but it's just that there's a little stretch of the route that's mixed in with traffic and the rest of it's separated. But until that bit's done, they're not going to get on their bike. So what do we have to do to just just get people over that final hurdle or fix the infrastructure to make sure that, that they can actually then make that change. So understanding what the experience of the customer is, is exactly what's going to help us work out where our priorities should be in responding. Anita, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you, David. Laura Aston, who is doing a PhD at Monash, was the trailblazer in initiating and leading the team of enthusiastic young students who pulled off this fantastic event. Traffic and the ITE in Australia had sponsored her to travel to the US to witness one of their events and offered some guidance, but the sheer bulk of the work was done by Laura and her team. For more information, go to ite.org.au. Are we there yet? Transport into the Future is produced by Driven Media 